When we read S-L-A-V-E-R-Y in the Bible, we immediately think of the African slave trade of the 17th and 18th century, which was you know, altogether horrific. But there wasn't slavery in the ancient world, there were slaveries. There were many different types of slaveries. You could be captured as a prisoner of war and enslaved, as it has happened to many, many people throughout the centuries. Probably the worst of it is if you're made a galley slave to, uh, to row a boat in the cold Mediterranean Sea until you die, or work in the salt mines until you have you know, no more energy or no more breath in your body. Horrible stuff. But on the other end of the spectrum, they, they didn't have uh, bankruptcy, and so you might you know, put yourself into slavery as a way simply to pay off your debts, which could mean you, you work in a field, or you, uh, are, you go and attend to the hair of your uh, domina and help you know, the, your Roman aristocrat uh, uh, mistress to get ready for the day. The African slave trade that we are familiar with was two things. It was race-based, and it was lifelong. In the ancient world, it wasn't race-based. Uh, slaves couldn't be distinguished from freemen by their race, by their clothing, by their edu education, by their accent. You see a picture here to my right. This is a, a mosaic, a Roman uh, fresco. Part of it is a master beating his slave. You notice how their clothing is similar. They're, they're of the same race, or so it would, so it would seem. Anybody can be a slave in the Roman Empire. They estimate that the empire was 40%. 40% of the empire were, were slaves. Four out of every ten people that lived in the day of Jesus were slaves of the Roman Empire. And it didn't matter your ethnicity. You would be a slave anywhere from 10 to 20 years, which is still a, a long period of time when you have short life expectancy as they, as they did in, in that day. But slavery was complicated. That's what I'm trying to say. It was complicated. And here's one way that it gets even weirder. The slaves were the ones who held professional positions in their society. So it was the slaves who were the doctors, the professors, the administrators. The slaves were the ones who did menial work, but they did major work as well. And it wasn't uncommon even for a slave to be more educated than his master or his mistress. So, for example, uh, Staley's, good Greek name, Staley's is a professor at the local university and is the slave of a wealthy Roman aristocrat, uh, Andronicus. Staley's is the manager of Andronicus's household. He manages all of the affairs of his state, everything from beginning to end, so that Andronicus could live the Roman ideal, that the good life in their day was a life of complete leisure. The, the, their idea, the Greco-Roman, fancy way of saying them, their time period, their ideal life was a life where everybody else did the work for you. But Staley's also has a household of his own that has to be taken care of. And he does so by owning five slaves. So slaves could own other slaves in their day. It was different. Different than the African slave trade. Not better. I'm not saying it was better. Their slavery was awful. You would be, could be sexually abused at will. You had no rights in a court of law. You had no voice. You could be tortured. You could be executed simply by the whim of your master for even trivial offenses. It was awful. 
just like it was in the United States. But here's the thing. Nobody thought anything of it. It never occurred to anybody in that day that there was something wrong with that way of life. It never occurred even to the slaves that slavery should be abolished. The slaves were not abolitionists. Like, nobody had reservations. Their cultural blinders were so strong, nobody had any reservations about owning another person as if he's a property. Not the slaves, not the masters. It's just something like gravity. It's something you take for granted. As long as human beings have been on this earth, all there ever was, is, or will be, they thought, was the institution of slavery. Only they were wrong. They were wrong. Why were they wrong? Because it ended. How did it end? Thanks in large part to this little little letter that we're going to read right now. Um, What changed the entire tide of human civilization to kill slavery off? It was, in fact, Christianity. I don't know if they taught you that in your social science classes, but it it was. And that's not even a matter of debate. It was the British Christians of the 18th and 17th century who ended the African slave trade. Um, Why did it happen? Well... It happened because of this little letter. And it took way too long for it to happen. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But what I want to show you briefly is how this little letter, God used it to put an end to this abominable practice. Really quickly, I want to give you a quick background. So Paul is in a city. He is ministering to lots of people. He gets thrown into prison. Somewhere either before his imprisonment or afterwards, he comes into contact with a runaway slave by the name of Onesimus. And in interacting with Onesimus, Paul leads him to faith in Jesus Christ. Onesimus becomes a Christian. And then while Paul is in prison, Onesimus cares for Paul behind bars. While Paul is there, he writes two letters. One of the letters is the letter we know of uh, Colossians. It's to Colossae. And this other letter... This letter to a man whom he knew, who was the master. He knew the master of the slave. His name is Philemon. And Paul then says to Onesimus, and this was so cool. He says, Onesimus, I want you to take this letter back to your master. I want you to take, go back to your master with this letter that I'm, I'm, I'm handing to you. And Onesimus, like, what must have been going through his mind at that moment? Because what happens to runaway slaves? Well, runaway slaves are tortured and killed. They actually have uncovered slave collars from the first century that that have engraved in Latin, catch me for I am fleeing. Runaway slaves are, are, I mean, made made a statement of. They're tortured and killed. And yet, uh, what does Onesimus do? Well, we know that he must have returned this letter to the master because... It's still with us to this day. I find it so remarkable. He could have he could have just taken the letter and ripped it up and run away again. But he put so much confidence in Paul and in the power of God to change. That's why we have the letter today, because it was delivered to the recipient. So let's read it. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier. It's a standard letter writing form right here. And to the church that meets in your home. So we're talking about a small group of Christians, probably not a whole lot larger than we are today. He's writing this to Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people 
and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share uh, for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be a bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. I mean, there's a play on words in verse 11 because Onesimus literally means useless. And he plays, he does this. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he's, he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have loved to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me with, uh, helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want you to do anything. Uh, I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not be would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while isn't that interesting how he, how he says that. He was separated from you. Not that he ran away, not that he fled from you, but perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dear to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Isn't that funny? He says, I'll pay it back, even though he's in prison and has nothing. But I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. Which kind of suggests that, that possibly Philemon came to faith also through Paul. You owe me your very self. Verse 20, I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. In the 1960s, automobile manufacturing was the largest, most profitable industry in the United States of America. Think about the 60s, post-World War II generation. Car boom, everybody's buying a car. you got to get a car in the 1960s. Um, it, was, it was huge. Now, just imagine that we set a day, let's call it um, August the 21st, 1967. It is the day when every Christian pastor in America is going to stand up in, his pul- in the pulpit and is going to say, fossil fuels are evil. They must be done away with. They're killing the environment. They're ruining this world. The, the ozone layer is, is diminishing. We, it's, it's destroying God's good creation, and it must be stopped now. What effect would that have on our country? Well, for one, that, that's the only message anybody would ever hear. That Jesus, salvation, gospel, church, all those words that we use that we think are so important, had, had every American pastor said, fossil fuel use is a sin and must be eradicated. They would never have heard anything else. They just hear that cars, the message that cars are evil. Furthermore, if we got rid of all of our gas-powered engines, all motorized transportation in 1960, there probably would not be United States of America today, because we would not have won the Cold War. 
We would not have survived the Cold War because we would have been you know, conquered by other countries that were actually using fossil fuels. Um, do you see where I'm going with this? One of the, the biggest questions, legitimate questions, people have about the Bible today is, like, doesn't the Bible, doesn't Christianity condone oppressing women, oppressing, um, uh, uh, didn't the Bible, um, didn't Christians condone you know, slavery, oppressing slaves? Um, why didn't God... Why didn't he just come out and explicitly say that it's wrong? It's evil. It must end now. Why isn't there an explicit reference in the Bible where Paul, um, you know, advocates for immediate emancipation? And I hope you see, yeah, you see where I'm going. Because had Paul done that, um, it would have led to complete our anarchy in their society. I mean, their entire civilization was, was based upon slavery. The entire economy was based, based upon slavery. It, it would have... It would have Gone, you know, bonkers. Had he tried to emancipate all the slaves in the Roman Empire, um, had he been a fire-breathing abolitionist, um, not only would everyone think that he was trying to destroy their society, but Christianity likely would not have survived. I mean, the authorities would have come in and swooped upon the small fledgling movement and stamped it out like a bug. Um, and nobody would be talking about Jesus as he Messiah, as the Son of God, did he raise from the dead. They would just be talking about these crazy people who are trying to destroy civilization as we know it. I think it's for this reason and other reasons that Paul does not, and the Bible does not, attack slavery with a frontal assault. Like there's no storming of the barricades to eradicate slavery. But it doesn't mean... They didn't kill it. Now, Paul, uh, he, he has a different strategy. His strategy is to like plant a, a virus inside the system, a virus inside the computer program, something, a, a, a rottenness, if you will, on the inside that will slowly erode the institution from within so that eventually it withers and dies. And here's how he did it in four short little pieces from this letter. Number one, did you notice how Paul puts Philemon's relationship with Onesimus under the banner of love and not commerce? Under the banner of love. Verse five, you know, I hear about your love for all God's holy people and, and, and your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I hear about your love for all of God's holy people. Any slaveholder who thought very deeply about love must find love is incompatible with believing that you must or you should own another person as though they were an it or as though they were a thing. Um, love is incompatible with seeing someone else as a tool. Aristotle, the, the, the Greek philosopher, what they called slaves in their day was living tools. Love is incompatible with seeing any other any other person creating God's image as a, as a tool. Love is incompatible with dehumanization. I can't, I try to think about it this week, I can't comprehend what it, what it would be like to be so thoroughly dehumanized by another human being. When a person looks at you, they don't acknowledge you as a person, they see an it, they see a thing, they see a bug. Um, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't know that I can think of a time in my own life where 
where I was so objectified in that way, where I was so dehumanized. Um, it doesn't mean that everyone has treated me nicely or rightly throughout my life, but, but I think, for the most part, everyone has treated me like a person. And I'm sorry that that's not true of everyone in this room, because not everyone in this room has been treated as a person. Some have been repeatedly dehumanized. People look at you and they don't see a you, they see, they see some category, they see, they see some skin color, they see some status, they see something, they see something. They don't see, they don't hear a name, they don't see a face, they don't know a story, they just see a, a, a thing. And that's the exact opposite of love. Love never dehumanizes. Love always personalizes. And if, if that is, you know, I, I don't know who I'm talking to this morning or this afternoon, but... If I just describe something that you have been through or been through repeatedly, I'm so sorry. Because it's, it's the exact opposite of God. Because God is love. God is love. And love doesn't objectify another. So number one is he, ch- he changes the categories entirely. We're no longer talking about commerce. We're talking about love. Number two, he says this again and again. I call him my son. Verse 10. I appeal to you from my son Onesimus who became my son while I was in chains. Of course, he's talking about how he became his son, his spiritual father, because he was the one who led Onesimus into this this thing we call truly life, and and knowing the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And here he writes, like, it's almost, remember Philemon, however you deal with this man, you're not dealing with simply a man, you're dealing with my child. My child, someone dear to my heart. My my own son. And, and maybe hearing those, like hearing that uh, echo, it might remind him about another father. Another father's great love for his, his beloved son. I think one of the most fun parts about church planting and most challenging is to see if we can get, I mean, just look for a second around the room at each other. Can we get this to the point that we are actually a family? I mean, a real spiritual family. Because that's not how our, our culture or how our society works. We commodify relationships. Have you noticed that? We commodify relationships. I'm in a relationship as long as I'm getting from you something that I want and accept, at an acceptable price that I'm willing to pay. <laughs> I'm in it so long as, as you are giving me what I, what I want at is we do this like quick cost-benefit analysis in almost every human relationship. It's sick. It's awful. It's horrible. And it's not the way the family operates. The family says, I'm in this, I'm in this with you going to come thick or thin because like, we're blood. We're spiritual blood. That's the real challenge. Is can we become, if you will, spiritual blood? And that's what he's appealing to here. I call him my son. Verse 17. So if you consider me a partner with you in the gospel, welcome him as you would welcome me. Because in that society, you would always receive a son just as you would uh, the father. Number three, Paul calls Philemon to reconsider the master-slave relationship. Verses 15 and 16. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Paul strongly implies here, doesn't he, that the master-slave relationship, the way that it was done in their, in their culture, 
like can no longer apply here? Like, that, that's over? That, that's, that's done? When he says, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, one whom you will have forever. I think in those short verses, even though he doesn't explicitly prohibit slavery, this is the kind of teaching that, that you know, put the virus on the inside and made it, and made it rot. So that maybe slavery did still exist in Christian circles in its institutional shell, but that will slave master power dynamic, objectify junk. I think that was um, what Paul put him into. And then number four, I just, I thought it was funny how he says, I'll cover his debts. <laughs> if he's done any wrong to you, if you, if this runaway slave stole from you, if he, you know, if he took, like Jean Valjean, he, he takes the priest's silver. If he took the silver, I'll pay it back. <laughs> Even though I may not have anything, not two pennies to my name, but I'll pay it back. It, it would probably serve as a, a wake-up call to Philemon to like let his anger Put it to his side. I'll pay it back. I'll tell you what probably really killed slavery. It was Sundays in worship. Walking, when they walked into the house of Archippus and Achaia, they were greeted at the door with a holy kiss. Whether you're a slave or a free man, when you walk into this house of worship, you're treated as equals with, with a kiss. And we talk together, and we sit together, we sing the same songs together, we pray the same prayers together. I mean, probably most, most significantly of all was, was the master would sit right next to his own slave, and they were fed from the same bread, and they, were, they drank from the same cup, because they believed they had the same master, the same one. <laughs> And it didn't matter if you were the most wealthy, aristocratic, equestrian Roman with estates, if you were the lowest slave on the totem pole, when they met together for worship, they were all equals in the house of the Lord. Well, then why did it take so long for slavery to be abolished? That's a perfectly reasonable question. Why did it take so blasted long and I'll get a little cheeky in my first answer to that question. Long is a relative term, right? Like, how long is long? If human beings have been on the earth between 200 and 300,000 years, as is, as is the, the predominant belief, if we've been around for 300,000 years, and the institution of slavery, everyone agrees, it's been here with us the whole time. Hundreds of thousands of years in every society, in every place. Well, I suppose that Christianity taking 1,700 years, 1,800 years to abolish it in the grand scheme of things isn't all that long. But still, it was, it was too long, far too long. And I think, that, I think that nothing did more harm to the gospel ministry in the United States of America Nothing did more harm to, to the Christian witness in our country, and we're still living with the effects today, than Jim Crow and slavery and pastors like me in Charleston, South Carolina, standing up in pulpits on Sunday morning and saying, this is the, this is the will of God, that you continue to own black men because, uh, 
somehow that is your divine right. Nothing has, 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 has poisoned our culture more for the gospel because of that. And it's, it's a great tragedy. A great tragedy. I do, though, want you to remember that it was a British Christians who helped in the African slave trade. And then probably God himself uh, spoke to the matter. You know, it was Abraham Lincoln said that he believed the Civil War was the judgment of God upon the country. And I think he was a prophet in that respect. Um, he was right. There's so much to grieve. But I want you, okay, I, I tried to get you to imagine what worship was like. I want you to get one more image. What would it have been like to stand on a, a slave platform at auction and to look about, look out among a crowd of men of, with gawking eyes and watch them bid on you like you were a piece of cattle. An auctioneer raises his voice, he'll give me 20,000. And some like mossy, uh, haired, glassed man over here raises his hand, 20,000. Well, who will give me 30,000? Another hand goes up. Slaves in 1850 in American dollars, or today's dollars, is about $40,000. Slaves were expensive. I mean, if you get to own somebody and use them for their entire life, you can see why they would pay so much. Who will give me $40,000? And as you're looking out on the crowd, you see, you see a face you're never expecting to see there. Uh, your friend. <laughs> One of your close friends standing there looking back at you. The friend with the big heart and the, and the small pocketbook. The friend who is super generous and doesn't know how to manage money. Who will give me 40000 Your friend's hand is the only one up in the crowd. And you're thinking to yourself, what is he doing? What is she doing? They don't have any money. Going once. Going twice. Sold. And you see a friend walk across the room to the slaver and deposit on his desk a bag of gold. And a gruff voice call out behind you, you're free to go. And the shackles being taken off your hands as they walk towards your friend and place the shackles on their hands. Because this friend has just sold himself into slavery under the one condition that the money that they use, that they receive, be used to pay for the next group that's being auctioned. Um, I didn't do the best job of telling that story, but that's not a fiction, it's real. But in fact, in the early church, there were Christians who literally sold themselves into slavery so that the proceeds would then go to release other slaves. Where did they get that idea? How did they come up with that? Where, where did that come from? Was it from Philemon, maybe? Probably not. No, it was from here. Ex, ex agorazo. This is the, that's the word, the Greek word that they would use in the market. It literally meant redeem. To, to buy someone, to purchase someone out of the slave market, ex to redeem. The very word Paul uses in Galatians chapter 4, verse 5, where he writes, Christ ex us, redeemed us, bought us, not with silver coins, but with the price of his own life, 
it goes on to say he redeemed us so that we might receive the adoption as sons of uh, as sons of daughters into God's family. It's for this reason that the early Christians sold themselves into slavery to save slaves. And it's for this reason. Make no mistake, it is for this reason that Christianity has always been a slave's religion. That was one of the criticisms of them early on, was all the people who are in part of your religious group, they're all slaves. And, and even in you know, the South, the slaves, they were Christians. They were far richer and better and more wonderful Christians than their masters. They were... It's, it's tragic today that when you go and talk to, in some African-American communities, there's, there's this belief, or I've been told among a young African-American men, that Christianity is a white man's religion. No, 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 no. Christianity is a slave's religion. And so the best of them were Christians. They understood better than any one of us could, who have our freedom, that a huge price had to be paid, and that Jesus willingly offered it by offering his body on the cross. And one of the biggest questions that a slave had to wonder is who's going to want me? Who's going to take me? Who's going to bid on me? Who's going to give for me? Who's going to give? Who's, where am I going? Who's going to want me? And Jesus says, I do. So what happened to Onesimus? Well, uh, church tradition held, held that uh, Philemon freed him. And he went on to then become uh, a great leader in the church, the church in Ephesus. But he was a free man. Um, he followed all the hints. Philemon followed all the hints that Paul had dropped in the letter, and he went free. Um, I'm out of time. I'm looking at my timer right now. Uh, there's, uh, I wish there's, there's so much more to be said on this topic, right? Uh, we need to talk about modern day slavery and, and Christian efforts to eradicate that. I think you. I know there are people in, our, in this in this group today who really care about, you know. Children who are sold into sex slavery and how important it is, especially in, in Asia, in Southeast Asia, that um, that we that we we, we deliver them. Um, that's a whole topic of its own. Um, you know, there's just the, the terrible tragedy of of our heritage of what you know decades, hundreds of years of of African slavery and Jim Crow and and how that is. Just destroyed generations of African-American families. We live with the, 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 the problems of that even today. That's an important topic that needs to be spoken of. Um, we will pray about, about sex slavery. Anne's going to lead us in prayer for that and, 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 and for families. Um, but I want you to just, I want to close by having you look at Jesus. I chose Philippians 2 at the beginning of the service. One of the translations it's not that he took the form of a servant, but doulos often means he took the form of a slave. Like Jesus took on the form of the slave, and we know that because on the night before he died, he went and he grabbed a basin of water, he took a towel, and he did something that no disciple would ever do, let alone a rabbi, to his disciples. And as he washed their filthy feet, the only person in that culture that was allowed to do that was a slave. He did the, that slave's work. He worked like a slave. And he died like a slave. Because crucifixion, the number one part of the populace that was crucified by the Romans were slaves. Like if there was a slave rebellion, and there are, there are pieces of history that tell us like a like hundred slaves crucified at one time 
Because you couldn't be crucified if you were a Roman citizen. But if you were a slave, you could and would be. He died, he died like, he died like a slave, and then they regarded him as a slave. Because as he hung there on the cross, the soldiers offered to him sour wine mixed with gall, sour wine, sour water, vinegar, sometimes it's called, happens to be the drink that Romans gave to their slaves. My God, he's one of us. That's what a slave saw when they looked at the cross. He's one of us. It's the only religion in the world that holds that its Savior, its God and Savior, becomes a slave to set slaves free. And that's what slaves saw whenever they looked at Jesus. He's one of us. His life for my life. His chains for my freedom. His slavery for my liberation. What a Savior. What a gospel. Amen.